Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Meet the Artist program, which is produced by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education here in the gorgeous San Francisco War Memorial Opera House. I'm Cheryl Osola, a writer for San Francisco Ballet and editor-in-chief of Dance Studio Life magazine. I'd also like to welcome our online listeners. Many of the Meet the Artist interviews are available on podcast at our new, very interactive website, sfballet.org. So please visit there and you'll see all kinds of other goodies like videos and the company's blog, Open Studio 455. So today, Sunday, January 29th, 2012, I have the pleasure of interviewing not one, but two guests. We have ballet master, Katita Waldo, and principal dancer, Pascal Malat. Hello. Hello. My mistake. Katita Waldo has spent nearly her entire dance career at San Francisco Ballet. She trained in the school for a year and then danced with the company for 22 years, 16 of which were as a principal dancer. And then luckily for us, when she retired in 2010, she stayed on as a ballet master. So as a dancer, she created roles and danced in a huge repertory of ballets. And as a ballet master, she's now helping to set many of those ballets along with new ones. So this season, she worked on Edward Liang's world premiere, Nutcracker, number nine, Divertimento number 15, Romeo and Juliet, Don Quixote, and of course, Onegin. Pascal Molat joined San Francisco Ballet as a principal dancer in 2002. Um, he was born in Paris, France. I'm sorry, that was a mistake. He joined San Francisco Ballet as a soloist in 2002 and was promoted to principal dancer a year later. So he was born in Paris, France and trained at the Paris Opera Ballet School and then danced with several companies in Europe before coming here. I can't begin to list the roles he's done, so I think the word everything will have to suffice. <laughs> Um, in Onyegin, he cuts quite the elegant figure as Gremin, and he's absolutely mesmerizing in everything from Balanchine and Ashton to Thomason and Morris and Wielden to McGregor and Alo. Now this season, we have three full-length ballets that all have their roots in great literature. Romeo and Juliet, Don Quixote, and Onyegin. Onyegin is based on Alexander Pushkin's verse novel, Eugene Onyegin, which was published in the early 1800s. It actually started out in, in serial form and then had, um, it was published completely, I believe, in 1837. Um, it was an opera first, written by Tchaikovsky before it became a ballet. And choreographer John Cranko got the idea for the ballet when he was staging dances for the opera. So after he became artistic director at Stuttgart Ballet, he created Onyegin in 1965. It's been really, really widely performed throughout Europe, um, also in Asia, uh, but it's been slower to be picked up by companies in the United States, and the first one was actually Boston Ballet in 1994. Um, judging by the standing ovations and the Facebook Facebook and Twitter feeds of amazing San Francisco audiences were ready for this one. 
So you've got a treat in store for you today. So Onyegin is, is a little bit of a new breed of full length for this company. Um, I like to call it ballet for adults. It has, uh, it's not based on a fairy tale, and it has mature themes like, you know, passion and betrayal and all that good stuff. So um, to me, it's, it's very sophisticated, and Cranko is really just a master of telling a story vividly through movement, and he really, really brings out the emotions. Um, so that's kind of my take on it, but I want you to hear from these guys about what they think. Pascal, how about you? You start. <laughs> so actually, in uh, Onegin, I'm playing Grimin, which is a prince that you don't see much at all in the first act, and intervene in the second act and the third act. He will, you'll see, become uh, the husband of Tatiana, and in the third act, there is a, a really love uh, pas de deux, uh, a beautiful pas de deux. I mean, I'm so happy to have this opportunity to dance on this beautiful music and this choreography who really gives you all the opportunity to show how much, how much love you have for your wife. And uh, this ballet, uh, to me, is, uh, is, like I say, an opportunity to show an, a new facet of being romantic. And uh, to dance with uh, Maria Kochekova is uh, such a real pleasure uh, to be uh, her, her wife for, for five or six minutes pas de deux, beautiful and long pas de deux, but uh, uh, a key pas de deux actually in the ballet because without uh, uh, Prince Grimmin in that story, the story doesn't make any more sense actually. Um, I'd like to say in terms of what you talked about, uh being different for the company. We do obviously do Romeo and Juliet, which is mature in its own way, but I, I particularly enjoy this ballet because it, it really stretches the dancers technically, but artistically and in the acting department as well. The demands are huge, especially on the principals. Tatiana has to go from being young girl to an absolutely sophisticated, beautiful woman in the Potter de that Pascal talked about. Um, she has to be very careful, they both do, that the relationship isn't fire and passion. It's wonderful and warm and safe and comfortable as opposed to yes, what happens. It's really head. about a, a deep love, a very sincere and deep love between those two characters. Yeah. But she also has her feelings for Onegin, which must be very different. So it's really been amazing uh, for me to be on the other side of the, of, the, of the room and the stage and watch the, the principals in this ballet tackle what they've had to tackle because it's just been amazing. And if you have an opportunity to come and see all of the, of the casts, it's just amazing to see what each of them does with it. So. This ballet uh, was staged initially last summer uh, by Stuttgart choreologist Jane Bourne, who is trained in a system of written dance notation, and that's what she works from. It's literally like a musical score. Um, so she did kind of the, you know, all the preliminary heavy lifting, and then a few weeks ago, uh, the current Stuttgart artistic director, Reed Anderson, came in to put on the finishing touches and, and whatnot. So can you guys talk a little bit just about the rehearsal process last summer and then the kinds of things that Reed addressed when he came in? So yeah, James Bourne, Jane uh, Bourne, like really uh, 
taught us all the steps and the meanings and uh, what is nice about like to learn a ballet like few months in advance it's like you have a chance to let it rest like a good recipe you know and uh, when you take it back like few months after already you have like even some uh, very good idea of what you want to uh, express and then on top of that Reed Anderson came the last past week to rehearse with, uh, with us and uh, get like even more feedback about the gesture, what they mean. And at the same time, he, he led us like to have like a, a really a, a beautiful freedom to express also ourselves. So it has been um, uh, working with the details with Reed and uh, it was like a very a great time to hear all what he had to say about it because uh, it, it puts like the, the little sherry on top of the cake for us before performing. So that's why it was a, a beautiful process to, uh, uh, to have before uh, delivering to you. We were lucky that we had a lot of, of rehearsal time, which um, we don't always get. And um, it, uh, Jane did an amazing job this summer. Uh, she really knows what she's talking about, and everybody knew exactly what their steps were and what the intent was. Um, and then, as Pascal said, it cooks. And then when Reed came, he didn't really have to worry too much about anything but filling and fleshing everything out. And it was really interesting to hear... Um, the suggestions he would give to each of the dancers for their particular character. And even though there are things that are incredibly specific, like you have to stand here and you have to be here, there's somehow more freedom than I expected um, in terms of other things. And it's really, it's, it's a great ballet. And the process was amazing. Pascal, just going back to your, your pas de deux, and I have to say that it's actually one of, I think, the most beautiful parts of this ballet, and there are many, many beautiful parts. Um, it, it's a quiet kind of a pas de deux, and it, it expresses so much. And I just wondered, um, you know, how, how do you decide how you're going to approach that? And then, and then once you had been rehearsing it a certain way, uh, did Reed have anything to say to you that felt that you felt like took you kind of to the next level with it? Uh, the first approach that you have, it's also, you know, with the music. And the music really guides your steps, uh, give you, like, really the atmosphere that you want to reach, just to try to make one with the music. And there is everything in the music and in the step that are given to us. So I would say it's hard to go very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and um, knowing that it's a pas de deux, a love pas de deux, really deep love, you know, it's all about calmness, very, to be calm, to be also because he's the prince, so there is a, a natural, I would say, um, um, walk, a uh, way of looking at people, and uh, very compassionate. And I think that... Um, uh, with Maria, we, we really worked, of course, on the technique because it's hard pas de deux where there is a lot of lift. So it's not like a big variation of bravura, but it's also everything about control, about uh, quietness, like you said, about love, and to make it effortless. And like I say, even at the, at the end of the pas de deux, you, you are getting quite tired, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but really, when you are into it and you have this uh, beautiful conversation eyes to eyes with your partner, everything is very smooth and, 
and you really just enjoy your time on stage with all the surroundings, the set, the music, the choreography. I can really tell that I really had a, a fun time to do this pas de deux because it's, like you said, it's one of the, the key pas de deux in the ballet, but also like such a, a lot of tenderness, a lot of compassion and love. And, uh, and yeah, I, I really love to, do, to make it happen. Katita, this is a little bit of a two-pronged question, but one of the things that was a little bit different in, in this rehearsal process um, is that all the ballet masters worked on this production because it was that big. And um, usually everybody is kind of participating in everything, but this time the ballet masters were, were each assigned uh, a principal couple and their corresponding Lenski and Olga to work with um, individually. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what types of things you approached in those individual rehearsals and simultaneously address the whole issue that I've heard over and over from the principal dancers about the really unusually tricky timing and need for communication in these potatoes. The, the lifts are unreal. Yeah, um, uh, addressing the first part, it, it is not how we usually work, all the ballet masters. Of course, I'm new to this, so I'm speaking like I really know, but um, my understanding is that in the past, we all, the ballet masters pitch in and are assigned certain, certain portions of a ballet, but we all kind of help each other out. I, uh, in this ballet, I am assisting Betsy somewhat with the core, and she's done an amazing job. Um, and then I was assigned Vanessa and David, and uh, their corresponding Olga and Lenskys, which are Taras, Dimitro, and Dana Genshaft. And um, I really enjoyed it. Um, all of the principles are technically, yeah, whatever. You don't even have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so I was left with, with um, not having to worry about how they did the steps, but to try and, and help them to find their voice in, in the characters. And I had so much fun. Vanessa was um, extraordinary um, in her, she was like a sponge. She just, you know, we explored this part together and she wanted to have input and what do you think, should I, how should I do this here and, and really made me think about, um, I didn't have to worry about the steps, <laughs> so that was easy for me, I just had to think about, well, you know, what would I feel in this particular moment and then to help her to find the way to translate that emotion despite the steps, which uh, it's really true. The first time I saw the potadas, um, especially the, the final potada, well, the mirror potada actually, <laughs> I, I hadn't been around because I'd been working on another ballet, so I missed a lot of the setting process um, here and there. And I came in, I thought, oh, great, I'll see this parada. And I just thought, oh my God, it's one of the hardest things I've ever seen. And it was really uh, technically just brutal on the, on the, the partnering in particular. And uh, to figure out how to make the difficulty of the partnering and the, and the technical aspect be part of the story so that you don't, you know, this passionate moment and then you prepare for an arabesque and you do a big jump, um, which is, it's a challenge, let me tell you, because that big jump is going to prepare you for a really tricky lift, so, but to make it as seamless as possible was really fun to work with Vanessa on. She danced yesterday and was, I cried, <laughs> so... But I've cried with all of them, so I, you know, so what can I say? They're all amazing, and I'm really excited about today. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with ballet master Katita Waldo and principal dancer Pascal Malat. 
So following up on that a little bit, Katita, um, you know, in a lot of the full-length ballets, there's some room for individuality. Uh, a, a guy might do his turns one direction or another or might switch out a particular kind of jump for another. Uh, but in this ballet, that's really not the case. And, and my understanding is that it's like, no, the, this is what you're doing, and you're doing it in this direction, and deal with it. So um, why is that? And, and then how else can the dancer make the role more unique to them? Um, it's true. The choreography was pretty much non-changeable. There was one particular individual that could go to the left instead of the right for one of the solos, but um, <coughs> the steps had to be what they had to be. And I think it's because it was specifically choreographed to... It was part of the story, and... Um, half the meaning is in the steps and in their difficulty. If you, if you really do them right, how hard they are is part of the emotional struggle that these characters are going through. So I think that was kind of part of it, is that, no, you have to do it this way because it's part of the character as, in that it's a ballet. So you have to dance, and it's like dialogue. You, have to, you don't change Shakespeare. You don't change John Cranko. Good point. <laughs> Um, so, just from your perspective as a ballet master, um, in working with someone like Jane Bourne, who works with a score, um, is there any difference for you or for the dancers in terms of that setting process? So you can chime in here too if it's relevant, Pascal. Um, and 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 what's the value in that? Do you think? Um, I think it's really interesting how all of us dancers and non-dancers hear music. And we all hear different things in music. And um, I don't read music, and I really wish I did. And I think that one of the benefits of having um, Jane Bourne or anybody who does read music is that they can really help the dancers to listen to what the choreographer wanted them to hear. Because the choreographer is hearing what the choreographer is hearing. And to be able to translate that so the dancers are all hearing the same thing in the same way makes it a lot easier, especially for a core. Because um, in a core, sometimes you get some rugged individualism, and uh, you know, so it's really nice. I think that being able to know music uh, can help us as dancers, them as dancers, to to really hear the intent that was originally asked for or required. Thanks. That's a, that's really a good insight. I hadn't ever thought about it that way. Yeah, no, it, it, like you said, Katie, that's true. To um, make all the dancer listening at the music and listening like exactly the same music because of course like in an orchestra you have a, at least 50, 60 different instruments and you can hear many different layers, many different things and uh, with Jane it's, it's true that she, she make us listen like exactly what, what all the key point was for her and I think it was very helpful and that reminds me like another choreographer who likes also to work like that, it's Mark Morris, which has always, like when we are in a rehearsal process with him, he's in a studio with the score open, and he's really uh, uh, reading the music, and as he's, as he's reading the music, making the steps, so really, we really understand what he's listening, and actually, so the, the body can become music too. 
Yeah, and I, I would add that sometimes choreographers have a unique way of listening to music, and it's very helpful if you can learn to hear what they're hearing because sometimes it's exceedingly musical, but totally not what other people would hear. So it's, uh, I thought that was a real benefit. For sure you can understand better what the choreographer wants, you know, and from that, you know, you can, hopefully you cannot go too much wrong. <laughs> So Pascal, you're in playing Gremmen, you're playing a man who's who's quite a bit older than you, um, and you know he's at a point in his life that you are not. Supposedly, I think Tatiana has ten, uh, children who are roughly like eight and ten, something like that. Um, so they've been married for a while, and he was older with than her to start with. So. Uh, as a young man, it can be hard to have the perspective of someone whose, whose life experiences you haven't had. Does it, has it become easier for you since you became a parent? For sure, for sure. He's tired. <laughs> to be, <laughs> to be an, an husband and a father, of course, uh, helps in the way that uh, you see everything differently. You have more perspective, even about like what you are doing, your work, you know. And um, actually, I would say like I like to act, I like to play, and to be in the skin of another uh, character, even older than myself, it's always interesting to, to think about that and try to understand because it's all about reason. So like I said, when you are on stage and if you need to be a prince, you not walk the same way that if you have to do a Basilio in Don Quixote. So the body language is very, very important, and really it's very important to put a thought in your movement to make sure what you uh, want to say is going to be understood. So um, for me, in the third act, to have like suddenly a little bit of gray hair on my head, just that looking yourself in the mirror, you know, it affects what, um, what you want to do because you know that it's there. So it makes you... Uh, make your body react differently immediately. And that's the play of actor, and that's what is very interesting about that role, too. Great, thank you. Um, I think I'm going to, I am definitely turning this over to you. So we have a few minutes left, and please raise your hand if you have a question, and we will get to as many of you as we can. So who's first? There's somebody back. We can't see. The lights are very bright. So back here? Yeah. The questions for Katita, whether she still misses dance and how she feels when she sees other people dancing. No, I don't. <laughs> um, I miss being able to dance. I still take class, and I, I, I love how it feels, except that I just can't the way I did before, you know. But um, I didn't know how I would feel. Um, I never liked to watch when I danced. I know that that's sacrilegious, but um, I'd get nervous if I watched from out here. And also, I didn't want to watch it. I wanted to do it. So I really, th I wondered how it would be. And um, I don't, I don't miss doing it at all. I, um, I love working with the dancers. The experience in Onegin, the experiences I've had in Number Nine, and other ballads that I've worked on. It's a totally different reward and a different stress, but to to carry them onto the stage and to, to help them to be the best that they can be. 
I'm, it's like I'm a mother every night. I'm like, oh my God, they were so good. I'm just so proud. Oh. So that's, that's how I feel. I love it. Just love it. Yeah. The question is for Pascal. Uh, this person saw him in Tosca and wondered how that acting experience translates into his ballet work. So yeah, I had a great opportunity to do a, a Tosca project. And um, to be close to other actors and professional actors, even if we are dancers but also actors, <laughs> It's also, uh, uh, it was like a great experience to see them and like I was uh, talking earlier about their rhythm because um, acting is just about the rhythm, it's how you're gonna uh, respond to a question and how and what kind of uh, inflection you put in your voice, how fast you're gonna speak or... so. Like, um, it's a little story, but uh, funny, because I was actually uh, asking to uh, an actor uh, what is the most important for you when I was, like, uh, working with the Toskak uh, project. And he said he say the same thing, the reason, because if I ask you a question and I didn't finish my question and you're already answering, you know, there is, like, a problem of reason there. So, <laughs> so that's why it, it's simple, in fact. But like to be just right in this simplicity, that's why it's very difficult. Anyone, anyone over here? Yes. Pascal, do you ever do your Michael Jackson moonwalk to son? <laughs> <laughs> Another question for Pascal. Does he do his Michael Jackson moonwalk for his son? Yes. <laughs> and more. <laughs> And he's dancing to, he loves to turn, like all the boys. That's really funny because um, <clears throat> as soon as he can turn and turn and turn, like, uh, yeah, he just continues until he falls, which is kind of funny. But uh, it's uh, f funny, uh, physiologically speaking, how I noticed that you take all the little boys and what they want to do, it's turn and turn and turn, but you don't see that as much with the, the, the girls. And, uh, True. I have a son as well, and he's all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. And I'm, it's, like, it's also on stage, like uh, dancers, you, you see them just right after the class, all the men, they're going to stay like for five and ten minutes, and what they're going to do? They're going to turn. Tour en air la seconde, and pirouette, in every single position. But I don't know why, but we love yeah. that. <laughs> but you left out a, a critical point, which is that it's a competition too, right? That, that pirouette turn. Yes, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a joyful competition <laughs> between them. <laughs> I stopped that like a few years ago. Bonami, a lot of bonami. Yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, I'm so tired today, but I'm going to do 10 pirouettes after class. <laughs> there was a question over here. Yes. Okay, the question is about ballet shoes. Uh, this person's daughter takes ballet and goes through a pair of shoes a month, and is that normal? Um, flat shoes can last quite a long time. Uh, point shoes, especially in the company, I forgot what the statistics were, I knew them at one point, but you can wreck a pair of point shoes in a show. 
So, it, you know, you can go through... I used to like my shoes really old, but I average two to three new pairs a week, and, and some people are more than that, you know. So, I don't know. You can waste about three to four pairs a week sometimes, or reuse them for class or something. It's, it varies, but... We are just about out of time, so I'd like to thank you again for coming, and um, I'd like to remind you to visit our website, sfballet.org, and please, one more round of applause for our guests today. Thank you. Thank you.